Welcome to From Betrayal to Breakthrough. I'm Dr. Debbie Silber, and today's guest is Jennifer Lair. Jennifer specializes in educating couples on the relationship skills they need to build a solid, connected, and loving partnership. She's had advanced training in many couples' modalities and uses her knowledge to help others. Jennifer has been helping couples for nearly 20 years. She's a regular contributor to three blogs, which are designed to help people improve their lives and their relationships. So today we're covering the relationship roadmap and how our different attachment styles impact how we show up in our relationships. You're about to learn so much about who you are and why you react and respond the way you do with my next guest, Jennifer Lair. Get ready for this inspiring conversation. Here we go. Okay, everybody, we're with Jennifer Lair today, and we're going to be talking about building intimacy and trust after betrayal. And we know that's not in that, you know, easier said than done. It takes a tremendous amount of work, consistency, focus, persistence, grit, all of it. And, um, and Jennifer is going to help us with that. So welcome, Jennifer. Welcome. I'm so happy to um, be here with you. Yeah. Yeah, looking forward to this uh, conversation. So let's get started. You know, every all of our uh, listeners and, and viewers, they're coming from that place of healing from betrayal, not necessarily relational, but for the, you know, that's probably the majority. Um, and they're, they're like, well, yeah, that sounds nice. I'd love to build intimacy and trust, but I'm really struggling. So let's start there, you know, with, yeah. with just you know, what betrayal does? Is this something that you're familiar with or you've had experience in? Oh, absolutely. Personal and, you know, clinical. So, um, so what, I'll just start with what betrayal does. Betrayal um, undermines safety and it can be traumatic. So um, because we're human and mammals, um, we need connection. And when connection is broken or betrayed, we lose the ground under us um, and our sense of safety can really go out the window, which makes relationships really, really difficult um, for the person who's been betrayed. And sometimes you get two betrayed people who get together and then that's uh, hard too, because they're both of them, none of them, nobody has any ground for when something tough comes up and it's you know really scary and hard to rebuild that and know that you're gonna be taken care of um, by, or that you take care of each other. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Is what yeah. I would say. And I was, and is there, is, do you have a story that you can share? Sure. So let me think of a, a story. Depends how far back into my history I go. Um, so when I was much, much, much younger, I was in a relationship with someone who had addiction issues. Um, and um, that person actually got me on the road to healing. Um and I was, you know, fell in love with this, this person. And he, um, he just had a huge addiction problem. Um, and I ended up, uh, he was living with me for a while and I ended up kicking him out and taking the key. It was my place. And he went into rehab the next day. And I, uh, went to one of the family sessions and I, uh, I was done, but in that session, uh, he talked, he said to me that he, he said, I felt so far, you feel so far from me and I need you. 
And I wasn't able to hold the, I, that pulled me back in. And I spent another, I believe three and a half years in that relationship uh, before I built the strength I needed to build in myself to get out of it. Um, and he did things like stole my camera and sold it for drugs. And I was, you know, I, I did a lot of photography. It was like something that was really important, very core to who I am. And um, he cheated and he lied and, um, so that relationship um, was a real wake-up call for me. And they didn't straighten out. The next real relationship after that was a person I married, which was not an easy uh, marriage. I'm actually in my second marriage, which is a really good marriage. But it was a lot, a lot of work, um, internal work in myself that to build who I was up that I could, you know, how did I let this happen? How did I get stuck in this? what, why, what, and I had to build my own muscle. And then I had a lot of work to do in a relationship with someone who was there um, in terms of not betraying me, but had a lot of other issues like anger and things that had to be worked through. And I did a lot of work there. And then I ended that marriage and I'm in my second marriage. I've been married. I've been with this, my husband for 12 years now and very, very happy marriage, but it wasn't easy getting from where I was to where I am. So, so what, because I know so many of my listeners and viewers, they're like, okay, well, you know, they were, they were in, or they are in that troublesome relationship. What did you do to, to get out of it? And how did you know you were feeling better thinking of things differently? What, what right. did you do? So for me, my path and everybody has different paths. My path was getting into a 12 step a group. Um, I got into Al-Anon and I did it consistently for three years and then less frequently for another, at least four more years. And I learned, I learned a lot. Um, and then I did a lot, a lot, a lot of therapy. Um, and this is before I became a therapist. Um, so I had to learn that just because you love a person doesn't mean they know how to have a relationship just because you love a person doesn't mean that they uh, have the integrity that you, it doesn't mean they're living out of the potential you see in them. Mm -hmm. You might see their soul, but their actual character structure has big problems. Um, it's learning that maybe I am um, giving too much of myself away to keep this relationship because of my own deficits or my own wounding from growing up. Um, I learned that I couldn't, didn't have to control everything. I was more, you know, addiction type relationships bring up the, um, the co, I'm going to call it the co-person. I don't know what the right word is, but there's a need to control because everything's in chaos and so unsafe. And so that brought that out in me full force. And I just had a lot of things happen in my life that were wake up calls. And I had to go, okay. At some point I said, I am, I'm, there's something in me that needs to be addressed. I have to change something in me because I can't change the situation. I don't know why this happened, but it did. And it really just put me on the road to um, therapeutic work and looking within and rebuilding the parts of myself that weren't strong enough or were in some way not lined up right. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, let's, let's move from there and let's talk about attachment theory. Okay. What is it? And, and how, how, how do we know if we're yeah. struggling? So, um, well, <laughs> we know if we're struggling, if we're in a lot of pain and, um, 
uh, and we're not happy. Um, but attachment theory, so attachment theory, I don't want to get too far back into the theory because it's all, it's all available, but basically Bowlby started it years and years and years ago. And it was based on infants uh, relationship with the caregiver and, um, that how the caregiver behaved towards the infant affected how the infant, what the infant had to do to feel safe and survive. So if the caregiver will give you a couple very uh, sort of coarse examples, if the caregiver dismissed the baby and child's feelings over and over and over again, that particular child would probably grow up into a person who was not in touch with his or her feelings because they weren't, they weren't honored. And so that person might have a hard time connecting with their feelings and navigating through a relationship in an emotional way. Uh, instead, they're probably gonna act out. The feelings will explode out and act out uh, is one possibility or they'll be walled off. There's different things. If um, a child was um, inconsistently, you know, sometimes the parents were, oh, you're, you know, we're, so, and other times the parents were punitive, like a back and forth kind of thing. It creates another dilemma for the child and baby. How do I be safe when I don't know this, this life support? Because it's like the umbilical cord continues after you're born mm -hmm. to the parent. How do I keep this flowing so I survive? And so the infant works out strategies to feel safe. And those strategies are named in um, specific attachment names like um, avoidant and actually there's different names for, um, I hate this, but like each attachment name has about three or four different names and you sort of have to go, wait, this one's also that one. Like anxious ambivalent is also anxious pre preoccupied or anxious, anxious resistant. But basically what they're talking about is dynamics. So if you are someone who um, pursues relationships because you're afraid of abandonment. That is a different dynamic than someone who says, who pulls out of relationships because they are um, not able to either honor the relationship or they've cut off in some way. So there's these different ways. What you want is secure. Secure means you feel safe, your partner feels safe, you nurture each other, you work through your conflicts without a lot of pain. And um, that you can create that. It just takes uh, energy and work and time. Uh, but it's just because you start with one doesn't mean you end with one, that same one. Okay. So it's important that, that everybody understands that. And I, I really want to make that clear. So you could start with one type of attachment and it doesn't necessarily mean that's your lot in life. These can right. be changed. So how would somebody know which attachment style they have, let's say, and they, then, and then what they need to do to change that particular style? Okay. So first of all, you would go online and you'd Google attachment style quiz. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I have a, a, I have a blog post, which one does, is it on here? Well, there's a really good one uh, by what's her name? Heller pool pool. Oh God. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to look it up. There's a really, really good one online. Um, um, but just Google attachment style quiz, take mm -hmm. it. Um, it should give you in percentages. Like, so I was probably early on um, the attachment style that felt abandonment mm -hmm. uh, more than the attachment style that pulled out of relationships. Um, although I had some of both, but I, I am was now, gonna say, I take, so you could be, you could have some of both. 
You it's can, and that's what's confusing. Another. People people look, read it, and they're like, wait, I'm this and I'm this. Well, mm -hmm. I was like 14% this. Like now I'm like predominantly secure attachment if I take the test mm -hmm. with a little bit of um, in, a little bit of the avoidant, a little bit of anxious, a little bit, you know, so there's, you know, like 10% or 8% small. Little, there's still little elements, but basically mm -hmm. I'm secure attachment. That's mm -hmm. not how I was 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. 30 years ago, I was, you know, <laughs> you know, there was no secure attachment. I would have been, you know, 2% insecure attachment. So through the process of living, learning, growing, tackling my stuff, I changed my attachment style. Mm -hmm. Okay. So and consequently my relationship. Yeah. Right. So now th this is interesting because we can have one type of attachment style and then find what would be the match in order to help us learn what we need to heal which doesn't mean it's necessarily good for us, but it right. gives us that opportunity to, to work on those areas. But it's, it's then in honing those skills, we can actually move towards a sense of safety and security. Right. Although life generally hands us what we need to learn. It's not like we have to cog you know, cognitively say, okay, that's what I need. Mm -hmm. And basically both people in the relationship need to be committed to working on the relationship or you're not going to heal the attachment issue. If you're with someone who's not, who's part in, part out, or isn't really committed or doesn't want to work on the relationship, that isn't heading you in the direction of healing because it's just going to agitate what you already have. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I can, I can just imagine my listeners, viewers now saying, well, that's nice and all I want to do that, but my partner doesn't. What do you say to this person? Ugh, I say, oh, I'm sorry. Um, I say, I'm sorry. I have empathy. It's a hard position. I've been in it. I was in it. Uh, before. Um, you work on yourself um, and you do your best and you do what you can do. And at some point you may have done enough that that person shifts or that the relationship works anyway, or at some point you may move on. It's not, none of that's predetermined. It's just sometimes you're in a place where you have to learn, your learning is I have to accept this person and just work on myself now. I mean, that's what I did in my first marriage. I dragged my, um, now ex-husband into a lot of therapy, couples therapy, and he didn't want to go, but he did because it was a condition of the relationship that I set. I'm like, we're going to do this because otherwise, you know, what am I doing here? And um, he didn't like it, but he did it, but he didn't do the work. And so what I learned was he didn't do enough of the work. I learned to become more independent, to live, to create my own life separate from the relationship, to get stronger, to create um, the joy I needed for myself. Eventually, uh, the way I look at it, and people might not agree, is I outgrew him. Well, I was just going to say what I find so often working in the betrayal community is there is a tremendous fear of doing the work because of the fear of change. What happens if I see things very clearly? What happens if I become stronger physically, mentally, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually? What happens to the existing relationship if I do the work and I grow? And that is one of the side effects. And I say it all the time, there's got to be that complete and utter death and destruction of the old in right. rebirth the new. But, but I find that we're so afraid of doing that work because of the fear of the death of the old. Right. And so I'll give you a success story. <laughs> so I, I did that work and I was in that first marriage for 11 years. It was a 14 year relationship. And um, I got out and I was terrified. And for whatever reason, it just brought up terror. And then my next relationship, we did some work and we did about a year and a half of every other week couples therapy, uh, about six months into it. 
And um, I have a relationship that's just amazing. I mean, the conflicts are so easy to work out now. And they weren't initially, we did some work, but it is like a blessing and it is so different. And, and it's, some of this is about trusting that if you do your best, your life will get better, not worse. And even though you don't know what it's going to look like. Right. Is what I, yeah. And, yeah. and that's really it. It's without the, without that concrete evidence of what it's going to look like. And that's the part that keeps us stuck so often. So what's the relationship roadmap? Uh, the relationship roadmap is just like these steps. So if you're working on your relationship, um, especially if you're using weak and style, um, the, it's laid out in steps. So the first step is just sort of an assessment. What are your weaknesses in the relation? What are the relational weaknesses and strengths? Uh, what are the goals? Have you guys talked about all this? Like, are you on the same page in terms of what you want, what your dreams are for yourself, for each other, for the relationship? Um, it's looking at that. And then the second step is the cycle. Now the cycle uh, comes out of Sue Johnson's work, emotionally focused therapy for couples. I don't know if you are familiar with it. You are. And, sh and she um, talks about getting, looking at the behavioral pattern because the actions uh, can cause great damage. So if someone has an anger problem and they, you know, hit you or are always slamming the door or screaming at you, that's behavior that regardless of what else is going on, that behavior will stop everything dead in its tracks. It is not a safe relationship. You're not going to have the connection you want. It just, even if it comes in and out episodically. So the second thing is what, it, so Jim uh, will say, Jim uh, comes home. Nancy hasn't made dinner. Jim is upset. Uh, Nancy is um, gets upset because Jim gets upset. Jim decides, well, forget this. And he goes out to the bar. Nancy cries on the bed all night because she feels abandoned. So in other words, it's a cycle. Like what, what do you do? What does she, you know, what do each, does each person do? And it can be very little, tiny, intricate things. It doesn't have to be like a big thing like I just demonstrated. And so once you identify the cycle, you have to decide that both people are responsible for the cycle. The angry person is responsible for his or her anger. The person who's crying on the bed is responsible for that way of communicating. Both people are responsible for how, what they're doing. And that cycle is the problem, not the two individuals. The next step is- And, and I'll stop you right there. Even before that, that cycle becomes a, just this pattern, this habit, and that's what's to be expected. So it's almost like, you know, it's so, it's, this comes to mind. I have four kids and I'll never forget my youngest son was so used to me making meals that he didn't like. It's <laughs> just the way it is. And I remember, I'll never forget. He walks into the kitchen one day and he says, what did you make? I don't like that. Full blown temper tantrum. I did not even tell him what I was making. And he was so conditioned to not like it that before I even said a word, he was on the floor crying. You know, and it's just right. that conditioned response. So right, it's a conditioned response. Right. So once that's identified, um, then you move to um, attachment, which is, and this is something people aren't taught at all. So when we, um, and it's I call it attachment language. So underneath these movements are deep feelings. Mm -hmm. So um, when you left without telling me where you were going. I felt abandoned. So the deep, I felt abandoned and sad and desolate. So 
it's the vulnerable feelings. It's not, I'm so mad at you that you left, or it's not, it's the getting into the vulnerable feelings that are underneath the actions so that people can start accessing them. Because your son was probably thinking, my mom doesn't care about what I like mm. underneath it all. Even though mom might've been thinking, I want you to be healthy. So you're going to eat this. You mom know, wants them to be healthy and mom's cooking for four kids. I mean, come on busy. now. <laughs> right. Exactly. Right. But the kid's like, wait, aren't I important? What about what I want? You know, the kid's got these feelings. Mm -hmm. Now, if you guys have sat down and had a conversation and you may have, I'm just saying hypothetically, um, mom, when you make all these, you know, this broccoli and stuff that I can't stand, I feel like you really don't care about what I want to eat. And, you know, it, I feel like you're just a machine making food. And what about me? And don't you care? And you would say, I do care about you, honey. But I also feel it's my responsibility to make sure that you grow up healthy. And you'd have a conversation about what was underneath instead of eat your vegetables. I don't want to eat my vegetables, mm -hmm. which is where people, people often end up. Mm -hmm. okay. And so it's teaching them to drop down into what's really going on on the deep attachment feeling level. Okay. So then after they do that, what do they do? Uh, they work on that for a while because <laughs> that's okay. a big piece of work. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you run into all kinds of problems. People who can't identify their feelings, people who don't want to hear the vulnerable feelings because it makes them feel disgusted towards their partner. I mean, you run into all kinds of um, things here that have to be unpacked. Where I go next is um, getting people to start doing... Um, What's so when you're experiencing this, what's happening in your stomach or in your heart, what's happening in your body? Mm -hmm. My, I remember my husband, when we used to fight uh, early on, when we were fighting, um, he would say, my, I'd say, what's going on? He'd say, I feel really cold in my stomach. I'd say, well, tell me about that. Luckily I was a therapist. I had some skills that worked, even though I was, you know, and um, he'd say, um, I said, does it remind you of anything? And he'd say, well, when I was a little kid and my dad was mad and raging, I would get the same feeling. And so I would go, oh, I'm actually traumatizing him during this fight without even being aware of it. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, and then I got him to, I was able to communicate in such a way that he would understand my experience. And as we started unpacking, so going into the body, the body is a great um, access point into what's mm -hmm. going on. Uh, for people who don't have the words, they don't know what they're experiencing. They just know they, they've moved into a place where they can't talk or they have to move away. They don't know what to do. So I get people into all what I call it the lenses. What are they thinking? What are they feeling? What's their body feeling? There's uh, 12 lenses and I, I'm not going to go into them all right now. But so after that, the, then I start bringing people, and this is if they're working in this specific model. There's many ways to interweave all this, learn this, this exploring. I get people into what, what. So let's talk, talk about default actions. Mm -hmm. What happened when you were a kid and you were upset? Who, who comforted you? Did you comfort yourself? Did you read a book? Did you go pet the dog? Did some, did you go to a grandparent? Did you go play with friends? Did you go take a walk by yourself? Like when you're upset as a kid, how did you get your comfort? Because that's how you're getting it now. That's your expectation of how you have, that's where you go. You're wired to go, I'm taking a walk because I've got overwhelming feelings and I don't know what to do with them. Um, and really what you might need to do is learn how to talk about what's going on in a different way so that your partner can learn to reach back and also recognize, oh, this is what happened to my poor partner. They're, they're no wonder they're so upset. They, this is what happened when they were little and build some empathy. 
And this reminds me of, you, you know, think about it, you're young and let's say you have a bad day and mom gives you ice cream and we grow up and we, we are, you know, say, okay, well, I'm just going to do the same thing or we emotionally eat because that's what we learned. And it exactly. was a strategy and that sort of thing. Okay. So now I can also see where people will be very um, resistant to this because they're just, they don't want to discover all those feelings. They don't want to feel those feelings. They're right. just going to stay stuck in that cycle. Is there, is there any way to, you found that's helpful in kind of calling them out on that or having them be less resistant? Well, uh, two things, the external way, the external way is to, you know, start watching Brene Brown YouTubes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the internal way is to, um, um, if, especially if you're working with a therapist, which, you know, if you're dealing with this stuff, I recommend you, you work with a therapist, but start exploring, you know, so what you go into micro movements, like, so tell me, so you're sort of stuck, you're sort of stuck right now, like you're in this sort of frozen place. Can you talk about what that experience is like? Start opening up little stories mm -hmm. um, because eventually, and basically it's a cognitive decision that I trust the universe enough that if I grow, it'll be okay. And that joy comes from experiencing the good and the bad feelings and to not experience my feelings means I'm not fully alive. Mm -hmm. And you, you really have to make a decision that it's worth doing and do it. Mm. And that's very helpful. And, and you mentioned trust and trust is a huge factor in the betrayal community. I mean, my book is called trust again, uh, you know, for example, for that reason. And there are steps and processes to trust again. So how do you recommend we learn to trust again after and build intimacy after betrayal? Well, in terms of working in an actual relationship, um, the, you want, the person who betrayed the trust needs to feel remorse, not necessarily for the act that betrayed, but for the, for the hurt it caused the other person. So in order to rebuild trust with another person, that person has to be able to feel and communicate their remorse. Without that, it's a no-go. There's no way, there's nowhere to go. Um, so that is the most important thing. The other thing they, that has to happen, and this is something I ran into a lot, um, run into a lot working with people is often the person who's done the betrayal doesn't want to rehash it over and over again because they have shame, but they have to. They have to let the person who's been betrayed ask a million questions. Mm -hmm. Tell me again. We have to talk about this again. I need to see your phone. All that has to be allowed because until the person who's been betrayed feels like they have the freedom to hash this out until they find their feet, the person who did the betrayal has to give that to them. Mm -hmm. It's really, really important. So that's, you know, and then to ultimately um, uh, heal it, the betrayer, the betrayed has to be willing to forgive, mm -hmm. but that's a down the line. There's a lot of work that has to happen first. Yeah. This is very consistent with what I teach in our community. So let's, let's dive into forgiveness a little bit. And everybody okay. has their own way of, of explaining it, expressing it, teaching it. What's your, what's your way of, of teaching people teaching forgiveness? forgiveness. Um, 
That's a good question. It's a little bit complicated. You have to start working on, first of all, people can grow. So the person who hurt you is probably not the same person today as that person was when the hurt happened. Um, that's one thing. And it's important that they're not the same person. If they yeah, are the same person, run for the hills. Yep, I mean, exactly. right. So, um, but if they're working and growing, they're not the same person. Um, and so it's taking baby steps. You know, you're not just going to, like you've been robbed. You, you, you keep your doors and windows locked until you know it's safe to unlock them. You don't just throw them open and let yourself get robbed again. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's also working with the heart, you know, caring for yourself and caring for the other person. And what does it feel like to hold this barrier? Does it feel good? Do you need it? And maybe you need it right now. Maybe you don't, maybe you can start letting it go. And are you seeing changes that you can start to trust? Um, It's that kind of thing. And also knowing that if you do trust and you're betrayed again, it's not on you, it's on them. You, you know, you're giving, you're giving someone a chance um, and you'll survive, but that you're not going to give them chances forever. If they, you know, if you, you start opening the door and they, you know, F again, uh, up again, you're going to um, say, sorry, I, I, I can't do this anymore. It's too painful. And I may, you may even go, I forgive you, but I'm not, I'm not going to be here anymore. Which is another level of forgiveness, which is I forgive you. I see your damage. I see where you aren't, don't have your stuff together, but you go do that. You go in a different playground and do that. I forgive you, but I'm not part of it anymore. That's another level that you people may end up having to, to deal with. Mm-hmm. And, and we know forgiveness is just for us, but of course it's so, and it is so healing and so freeing, but there's forgiving and moving on, forgiving and rebuilding, two completely different scenarios. Absolutely. Yeah. What do you want to make sure everyone knows as we wrap up? Um, I, I think one of the, that we can heal. You know, we can heal. And um, just because we start, we, we're in a place that was incredibly painful or something really bad happened, doesn't mean that's the story of our life. It is one chapter and there may be a gift in it. There may not, but there may be a gift in it, but you'll move on to a different chapter and, and to know that, you know, we heal and we move on and we create different lives. But I think that's a choice because I see so many people who who are rewriting and rereading the same chapter over and over again. And, you know, then there are the people who say, I'm going to use this experience to create something entirely new. Right. And that's true. And um, if you're listening, choose to be a person who uses it to write a new script. I mean, really, we're, we're powerful creator beings, bottom line. We create our lives. We take what, the material we've been given and we work with it. And sometimes we, you know, hit a snag, but we reweave a new cloth and uh, we have that ability. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So where do we go to learn more about you? All right. So weconcile.com, W-E-C-O-N-C-I-L-E.com. Um, and there's also a quiz, wecansell.com slash quiz, which has a relationship quality quiz if you're in a relationship. One of my blog posts is on, um, let me see if I can find the name of it, Surviving Infidelity, if someone's dealing with that. It was done in May of this year. So you, it's got the whole steps of how to rebuild or leave if you've um, had to deal with that. Um, 
Yeah. And then I'm on uh, face at We Consult for Instagram um, and uh, Facebook and Pinterest. And um, is there anything else? Um, I think that's, I think that's it. Great. Okay. <laughs> All right, Jennifer. Well, thank you so much. I know our listeners or viewers are, are hopefully taking notes and saying, okay, you know what? I can do this. I can do that. And I can, I can take a look at my uh, attachment style and see if, what I can do there and, and heal yeah. from all of it. The uh, attachment, I just remembered Diane Poole Heller and it's P-O-L-L-E, I think. Diane Poole Heller has an attachment quiz on her website, a free attachment quiz. It's pretty quick and it is a really good one. Oh, that's great. Okay. Yeah. And we'll yeah. have that in the show notes. Well, I want to yeah. thank you so much for your time and thank for you. sharing your wisdom with us. And I know everyone yeah. is going to get so much out of it. So thank you. Thank you. Yep. All right. Bye-bye. I learned a lot. Did you? Stay in touch with Jennifer by going to weconcile.com and we'll have all of her information in the show notes at the pbtinstitute.com forward slash podcast. Here's my biggest takeaway. The relationship roadmap. One, do an assessment to find the strengths, the weaknesses, the goals. Two, assess and notice the cycle you're in and cycles relationships go through. Three, identify the attachment language. Four, note what's happening in your body. Five, assess default actions by asking yourself questions like, who comforted you when you were upset or how did you find comfort? The more we know about who we are, the more we understand why we do what we do and how we can change what no longer serves. Like the show? Please subscribe, rate, and review. And of course, if you know someone who's struggling to heal from a betrayal, be sure to tell them about the show. And if you haven't already, be sure to take the post-betrayal syndrome quiz, which you can find at thepbtinstitute.com forward slash quiz. Thanks for listening. Can't wait to be with you next time. And here's to your breakthrough.